Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome on back to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Wednesday, going to be Thursday when you're hearing this, June 19th, going to be June 20th when you're hearing this. I don't know why I did it like that. My name is Jake Luke. I am one of your hosts, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Vasily Lurikos. As usual, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Special episode here. Yeah, definitely. We have another co-host joining us for the first time. It is Baltimore Beatdown writer Spencer Schultz. What's going on, buddy? How we doing, fellas? Really happy to be on the podcast. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, definitely, dude. It's uh, good to have you. Good to get some more uh, writers in the mix when we can. So we're glad to have you on to provide some analysis um, and hear some voices other than our terrible ones every now and then. So uh, it's good to to have you here. Absolutely. I'm pumped to get it started. All right, sweet. Yeah, so with that, we'll jump right into the news. The first bit of news this week was that quarterback Lamar Jackson says he plans to work out with his or some of his wide receivers over the course of the summer, and he he says that he also might get together with quarterback guru Tom House. I don't really know what that means, but uh, yeah, interesting couple nuggets there. What did you think when you saw this one? Spencer, we'll start with you. Uh, Tom House, I know a good bit about. So he essentially was a pitcher for the Red Sox and a couple other clubs back in the 70s and 80s. Um, He kind of went back to school after he was done baseball and got involved with biomechanics and functional strength for throwing motions. And I know that he helped Drew Brees recover from major shoulder surgery. Um, He's out in the California scene. So he's worked with guys like Andy Dalton, Matt Ryan. Uh, Eli Manning, Carson Palmer, a bunch of guys, RG3 and Alex Smith have gone out there. So he is stationed out in California. So if Lamar were to work with him, he would bring uh, Lamar would bring his crew out to the West Coast and go to the L.A. area. And I know Tom House works on basically four things, which is the biomechanics, 
functional strength, nutrition and sleep, and then mental and emotional management and just tries to help guys really his, his main focus with quarterbacks is footwork and release time, getting the ball out of your hands quicker. So it would be really great for Lamar uh, to go out there because with that baseball training, I just think that quarterbacks always really benefit from having baseball training at all. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you see it with guys like Patrick Mahomes who have a little bit of, you know, that unconventional arm strength and the throwing, you know, platforms that are a lot different. Like I know Mahomes was a shortstop. Jared Goff is a baseball guy for. Yeah, I'll I'll go on this one as well. I think, you know, I've never really seen the working out with receivers thing is like a huge deal, but it it really can't hurt. And at the very least, he's not going to get that kind of flack in the local media that Flacco did for all those years for kind of not working out with his guys. So I do like to hear that. And all that stuff you said about Tom House, I mean, I didn't really know of that you always kind of hear his name coming up when it comes to guys going to work with one of these so-called gurus so um to hear all of that stuff especially the fact that it's more than just mechanics i think uh it's pretty interesting i think you also do kind of hear about some of these bad quarterbacks going to work with these guys that just never improve so i think uh more than anything mastering the greg roman offense is going to be the priority here but uh it's good to hear vasily what did you uh think when you heard this uh piece Well, you have to appreciate and respect Lamar's work ethic. He's certainly working to improve himself, working at his craft. And he mentioned Willie Sneed and Chris Moore in particular, among a few other receivers. They're planning to get together in Florida and toss it around a little bit in this little mini break they had before training camp. Hopefully some of the new arrivals can also attend to just build up that chemistry as much as possible with their quarterback. A lot of new faces in that receiver room. The more reps they get together, the better it'll be on game day. Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, And yeah, I mean, speaking of getting the roster together and building things up, we had some front office moves over at the Castle on Owings Mills. The Ravens assistant director of pro personnel, Chad Alexander, he's out. He went to go, uh, he was hired rather by the Jets he's going to be joining Joe Douglas's staff. So he's going to be out of the building and in the building are three new faces within the analytics department. Um, three new hires that are going to be in the position of quantitative analyst. Foss, I think you and I spoke about this uh, when the you know job posting was first published and all of them, they kind of appear to come from the sports analytics world in one sense or another. It's kind of different. It wasn't all just football people. And I thought it was super interesting. Um, you know, so I, I kind of want to get your guys thoughts. Vasilis, what did you uh, think about uh, this piece of news? You said it well in your article, Jake. It's all about exploiting market inefficiencies with the emphasis on analytics. The NFL is such a competitive league. Gaining even the slightest edge is completely worthwhile. Uh, In regards to the front office uh, moves, uh, Joe Douglas was a former worked for the Ravens, so there was a connection. Always expected maybe a few um, personnel men to be poached. And uh, next man up, as long as DaCosta and Newsom are at the top and they continue to preach their philosophy, the Ravens should be fine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's good for him. It's bad for the front office in the uh, the immediate, obviously, because you're losing a key figure at sort of a weird point in the calendar. It's something that kind of isn't talked about. But Douglas was hired at kind of a, an off spot sort of after the draft. So, you know, obviously all the hires that he makes are going to be on that same timeline. But I'm assuming DeCosta was prepared for this the second Douglas got the job. I mean, they've known each other for a long time and uh, he obviously knows he has connections within the building. So they're probably already getting that restructure within the front office kind of going. And as for the, the analyst hires, I'm 
I'm, I'm kind of all in on them. I think analytics in football, it's something that's still kind of an unexplored frontier. I think uh, front offices who have taken advantage of it, you mentioned my article, and in it, I mentioned Philadelphia. They're, they're some of the uh, front offices that I've looked at that have really seen the benefits of what it can bring. So, you know, apparently DaCosta is really interested in bringing these type of models into the front office, which is music with my ears. It's not the whole slice of the pie, but you can get, you know, some benefit out of it. So I think it's uh, good to see. Spencer, what do you think about uh, both these pieces of news? You both made some excellent points, especially what you were just touching on, Jake. Um, it's not the entire slice of the pie. And the things that I think DaCosta is particularly interested in are what positions, just from what I've heard him speak, is what positions are most well reflected by spending or kind of restrictive spending with the cap in mind where you should invest to construct a successful roster. And I think that's something that the Ravens really struggled with after investing so heavily in Joe Flacco. If you're going to switch from kind of, you know, never having a high paid quarterback to that caliber, then all of a sudden Flacco is commanding a large portion of your cap. How are you going to construct your roster to be most effective and competitive. So I know, for instance, that the Ravens posted on the job opening, do running backs matter was part of the analysis they were wanting to go into. So that's something definitely of note to kind of help DaCosta shape the cap space and how he wants to utilize the roster going forward. But I think it's absolutely fantastic to bring it in. There's definitely a balance of religion with the technical and the eye test and studying film versus the analytics, which would be the science or religion versus science. And I'm glad to see it, it, Like you said, Jake and Vasilis as well, that Tacosta is using every possible Avenue. Yeah, definitely. And it kind of comes down to, it's funny because Greg Williams of all people was kind of talking about culture versus scheme the other day. And I think uh, to boil it down, it's kind of culture versus scheme, you know, X's and O's versus, you know, something a little bit more abstract. So it definitely is interesting. I, I thought the questions posited on the, uh, that resume type thing that you, or the um, job posting type thing that you just mentioned to kind of, kind of excited me a little bit and reading their, these three people that don't know all their names off the top of my head, so I'm not going to mention any, but um, they just seem like really interesting people from different backgrounds. So uh, it's exciting for sure. Moving on to another exciting news piece, speaking of that, NFL Network's Bucky Brooks listed Baltimore as a potential trade partner with the Houston Texans for star pass rusher and former number one overall pick, Jadavian Clowney. Spencer, what, uh, what were you thinking when you saw this? I am absolutely thrilled with the idea of bringing Jadevian Clowney onto this roster. I think that if it were to happen, it would require at least one first round pick and perhaps sending, you know, Tim Williams, Tyus Bowser, Anthony Averett, some combination of depth between the edge rushing group and the defensive back group. However, I doubt that it's actually a practical option for the Ravens because I believe they currently have somewhere in the ballpark of 10 million um, clown available in cap space. Clowney is going to at, go well over that just with the franchise tag this year. But if it were possible, I think he's an outstanding player. Over the last two seasons, he's had 9-2 plays by line of scrimmage between sacks, tackle for losses, and quarterback hits. And just to put that in perspective, Khalil Mack has had 88 such plays mm. and is widely regarded as you know a top-five defender. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like a fit issue. It seems like a logistics issue. Boss, what were your uh, thoughts on this? I'll take the opposite uh, view. I don't think he's a great pass rusher. He's a good pass rusher, but he still doesn't have a double-digit sack season. Very good run defender, but I think – Maybe he's a little hyped up more than he actually produces, Clowney. And he's just going to cost so much. Not only do you have to give up the draft picks, 
high draft picks at that, but then you're paying him $18, 20000000 million a year. They could squeeze him under the cap. They certainly could, but is that the best use of the of the cap dollars available? I'm not so sure. It's just a lot to pay. I think the Ravens are going to be able to piece together a quality pass rush without him this season, just using the players they already have. In my mind, it's it's right player, wrong price. I think he's an absolute beast. He's got great speed and great power. He can also set the edge. I haven't watched a ton of tape on him, but I mean, the people that uh, are kind of experts in this stuff seem to think that he's a very complete player who's maybe even underrated, but... I don't know. I, I would love to potentially see it happen for the right price, but I just don't see that happening both in trade compensation and in the eventual uh, cap hit that he's going to be giving you, you know, should you even extend him after that one year. But, you know, while it's nothing but speculation at this point, I think Eric DaCosta, if he were to pull something like that off, would have crossed an already pretty strong first off season. But uh, yeah, I I'm, don't really see it happening personally. Moving on to the fourth news piece, NFL.com's Greg Rosenthal, who's a great writer over there and uh, does a pretty nice podcast. He put out his division power rankings and has the AFC North checking in at number two overall behind the NFC North. And he says it's hard to find a team in the AFC North that's truly lagging in talent. I pretty much agree with everything he said, and you could even argue flipping two for one. It wouldn't surprise me if the ceiling of this division is 500 and you know, or the floor of the division uh, rather is you know a 500 team, and I think the Ravens are going to have their work cut out for them going forward here. So it's it's a good ranking in my book, Voss. What do you think? I'd actually place the AFC North lower than second, primarily because I believe Pittsburgh is currently overrated. I really don't understand why so many national pundits think the Ravens' defense is going to fall off without C.J. Mosley. But at the same time, the Steelers' offense won't miss a beat without Antonio Brown. It just doesn't make any sense. In terms of overall team strength, one through four, I think the AFC South is the deepest in the conference. As for the top-end championship-caliber-type teams, it's hard to beat the Chiefs and the Chargers combination in the West. So uh, I think it's it's closer than that, and I don't think the North is necessarily the second best personally. Yeah, I would agree with you in essence. I He put a, a piece in there about how the Browns and the Steelers might just have the most talent in the whole league, and I kind of did a double take at that because I can maybe agree with the Browns, but the, the Steelers certainly don't strike me as that type of team. Spencer, what, right. were, your, what were your thoughts on this uh, piece? I'm going to have to agree with both of you. I believe that the Steelers secondary is arguably the weakest group of any position group in the AFC North. So I agree with Vaz that they're a little bit overhyped. I do think that the Bengals are extremely underrated heading into the season. I'm not saying that they're going to go out and win 11, 12 games, but thinking about the talent that they have on that roster, they were four and one during week or after week five last year. And then AJ green went down. They are not very deep, but if they're able to stay healthy, I could see them making a run and I'm going to have to agree. I think that the AFC South is stronger. Uh, I believe the NFC North as Rosenthal listed is better. And I'm also going to have to pile on the NFC South who have a dominant team in the saints. Uh, the Panthers were really good before Cam Newton's injury. The Falcons are healthy again and going into the season. And I think that the Bucs will be a lot better with uh, Bruce Arians at the helm. And they've sort of made some roster changes. Uh, so I agree. The AFC North is there's not really a real bottom feeder, but I don't see that, you know, that consistency of teams being I don't think there's a chance that there'll be three playoff teams out of the AFC North. We'd be lucky to have two probably this season. Yeah, the NFC is really loaded, I think, as a conference. 
even the East with Dallas and Philly, they're both capable of making Super Bowl runs, and they were the lowest ranked NFC division in this in this ranking on NFL.com. I think the NFC is going to be a superior conference in 2019. At least it looks that way on paper. They have maybe nine bona fide contenders by my count compared to the AFC with six or maybe seven. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I would probably – I remember going into last season, I, w- I was hot on the Bengals. I liked the Ravens and the Steelers as well. So I you know, thought there were three potential playoff teams. So I just kind of saw them as like a top three division heading into 2018. And now I just kind of flip-flop the Bengals and the Browns. You know, I do have questions with the Steelers, but they do have probably the best quarterback in the division still by a decent margin. So um, I like them. Um you know, not necessarily as Super Bowl contenders, but I think they'll be in contention for the playoffs. And uh, Baker Mayfield's a rising star, and I think the Ravens have maybe top to, top to bottom of the best roster. I mean, I know the Browns are super talented, but uh, yeah, I mean, we can go back and forth on this all day. But for sure, it's uh, it's going to be going to be a good division, and there are certainly some other loaded ones in the league. So uh, it's going to be super competitive for sure. And with that, I think we're now going to get into our segments. Yeah, so we're, we're going to do a 53-man post-minicamp roster pro- projection. We'll go position by position. Who's going to make the cut? Who's not going to make the cut? It's going to be tough mapping out this depth chart. It becomes clear that Eric Acosta has ex- assembled a exceptionally deep roster. There are going to be several difficult decisions on both sides of the ball. Some recent draft picks or free agent signings are going to be caught. There's no way around that. And barring injury, all of the UDFAs are going to have a tough time making this squad as well. Let's dive in, beginning with the quarterbacks. Okay, so for me, I had three. Um, should be pretty obvious. Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin, Trace McSorley. Either of you guys want to jump in on that? Uh, yeah, I think that because Trace McSorley was drafted. When was the last time the Ravens cut a rookie that they drafted? I personally can't recall. Uh, I don't believe it's happened in the last five or so years. And I would anticipate that McSorley is able to secure a spot on this roster. And then obviously Lamar and RG3. Yeah, he might not even be listed as quarterback at the end of the day. And I, you know, haven't seen him in training camp or preseason, so it's just definitely kind of a hunch thing. But I think with the way Harbaugh's spoken about him and um, kind of the versatility that he's shown in, you know, the opening spring practices here, I kind of am liking his chances at the current moment, but that definitely could change. Voss, what do you think? I'll be the contrarian. I, I think McSorley is the one draft pick that does not make the squad. I think they're going to end up carrying two. He was probably my 54th man, but I just think there's more utility in carrying that fourth running back or that ninth offensive lineman who we'll get to in just a moment. But Trace, he is very versatile, but he was kind of, Keenan Reynolds wasn't too long ago, kind of same deal there. Maybe he's stashed, I don't know. I think uh, it's replaceable. When you sit there and think, what's what's harder to find in the draft next year? Maybe you know a quarterback, a late round quarterback that, that has the same skill set as McSorley, or maybe a fourth offensive tackle that uh, we'll get to in a minute. I think I think McSorley's might be on the outs. Yeah. So. Yeah, he could maybe come down with a case of that Owings Mills flu and wind up on the the IR stash there. And then (laughs) obviously you just got uh, Lamar and our boy Bobby G there for one and two. Uh, Moving on to running back, who did you have, us? I had the big four, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, Hill, and I think Kenny Dixon makes it. Um, And if Kenny Dixon doesn't make it, I think that maybe DeLance Turner or uh, Tyler Irving could make it. I think they're going to carry four. It's going to be a run-heavy attack. 
Dixon fared well when he's been on the field. He's His problem is availability. If he's available, I think he makes it. But I'm pretty married to four. I think they're going to end up with four this year. I liked the idea of it, um, but I went with three. I had Ingram, Edwards, and Justice Hill. Um, I liked what I saw from Dixon last year. The fumbles were a little concerning, but I would have before um, maybe this time period that we're in right now picked him to make the roster, but there's just been some weird shit going on with the man. I don't, I don't know where his head is at, and uh, he's probably going to have to work, at least in my opinion, to uh, prove to the coaching staff that he's going to still be in their good graces and be able to make this. Spencer, what did you think about uh, running back? I ideally agree with Vaz that we should keep four running backs, and I am extremely high on Kenneth Dixon. But as Harbaugh loves to say, the best of best ability is availability, and Dixon has not been able to prove to do so. So I think that this in this uh, group, I mean, at the end of training camp, we'll see who's available, who's been banged up, uh, who's available for the regular season. And like Vaz said, I think that Delance Turner. Uh, presents a special skill set that could kind of be contrarian between uh, the Edwards and the Mark Ingram, the powerful thick backs versus, you know, speed guy and Justice Hill Turner's a little bit between those two groups. So that would be an interesting fourth back combination. But we'll see. Yeah, we will. And moving on to wide receiver, uh, top to bottom, I had Hollywood Brown, Willie Sneed, Seth Roberts, Chris Moore, Miles Boykin and Jaleel Scott. Any disagreements? Voss. Um, I think it's going to be six. Uh, I have uh, Mike Floyd making it okay. over over. You said Roberts over Roberts. Yep, I had Roberts. I, I think the re- by virtue of his blocking, because he's a big body receiver, it's going to be a run heavy offense. The Ravens like his blocking. It's it's tough at receiver. Ideally, you'd like to carry more. I think you know some of the UDFAs, Wesley and Monster, really stand out. And Lasley was a draft pick last year, but I think it's really capped at six. It's really, really hard to keep seven receivers. Why does it always feel like that we're in the spot every summer where it feels like they're going to have trouble keeping all these receivers, and then by the end of the year, we're like, where the hell are all the guys that can catch the ball? But yeah, I, I definitely they're agree all with you. Injured reserve. Yeah, yeah, damn straight. And they also <laughs> a lot of them can't play, so that, that's where why we always end up here, I guess. But uh, Spencer, what were your thoughts on receiver? I'm going to have to agree just every single year we have these huge, this, all the focus is on the receiver room. And then at the end of the year, you're like, what, why can't we, where does the third receiver, we have two guys who can catch the ball. Uh, but I'm going to have to defer from Michael Floyd. I think that he was brought in as a veteran presence to go through camp. I just don't think he has the explosiveness. I don't think he can separate at all anymore. Um, so if you don't scheme him open somehow, he is not going to get open against a man coverage team. Um, so I'm going to go with Snead, obviously. I think Roberts will stick around. He's been pretty consistent. His numbers actually aren't too far off from Tyrell Williams. we got a monster contract in uh, out in Oakland. And then, I would, of course, Hollywood, Boykin, and Jaleel Scott. I believe they'll probably go into the first game day with five receivers and probably have a sixth man who I would hope can provide some special team spark when called on uh, to round it out. But I don't see uh, – the UDFA guys, I just don't see any of them being able to edge out these draft picks unless DaCosta just has a different philosophy than Ozzy did when it comes down to, you know, the jury judge and executioner of the general manager making cuts. Um, so I think this group uh, will keep mostly draft picks. I don't see any UDFAs or Michael Floyd making the team. Yeah, I have the uh, 
probably a couple of the UDFA guys. I mean, and this is still super early, but you know, a lot of a lot of P squad potential for a lot of those dudes. And then Roberts, I mean, I think he just kind of has the the head start on Mike Floyd a little bit with the playbook and the culture. And I do think he's a better receiver. So you know, it kind of comes down to preference. Do you want a run blocker or a guy who can catch? I'm gonna go with the guy who can catch. So I stuck with Roberts. Speaking of guys who can catch, uh, the tight end room. I have three of them: Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, and Nick Boyle. Any disagreement there? Not at all. That's an easy call, and it's great to have three guys that are really good players, but also really versatile. You don't need to carry that fourth, just big blocking, but back. Excuse me, blocking tight end that they have in years past. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to agree there. The fourth man would probably be Pat Ricard, who has been the ultimate uh, master of none, jack of all trades. Project Pat. So I. Th- Exactly. Shout out Project Pat. I think he'll be able to get in there in, you know, some goal line formations or some, you know, uh, 13 personnel and stick his nose in there and block a little bit. He can catch the ball a hair. So I think if if needed, he can be caught on. And if there is an injury down the road, we're going to have to promote a practice squad guy or sign somebody or find someone via trade. But three tight ends to make the 53 man. Yep, no doubt. Um, seems like a pretty, pretty, you know, locked up position. You mentioned Ricard. Maybe he'll get in the mix there. But uh, yeah, moving on from that, offensive line. Boss, why don't you start us off? Well, let's split it into two groups. Let's do tackle and then interior, so it's a little easier to follow. Good deal. At tackle, I have four. I think they're carrying four tackles: Ronnie Stanley, Orlando Brown Jr., James Hurst, and Greg Sinat. Second year man was stashed on IR really good footwork athletic specimen it's hard to find those kind of guys especially with stanley coming up they picked up his option for next year but who knows what his future holds i don't think you want to let an asset like that out of the building i think they're going to carry four at least that's my projection right now that was my same exact projection and uh yeah it's a good looking group i think stanley and brown two good young pieces there starting at the bookends sanat i think is uh, intriguing i know you like him a lot and Hurst, we obviously know his versatility as a uh, swing type of guy. So, uh, yeah, you know, I had four as well. Spencer, what about you? I'm going to have to agree. If there's no moves made, I'm also a big fan of Sanat. He is extremely athletic, as Vaz touched on. Um, Hurst, I would love to see perhaps traded because his salary, his uh, cap hit is just a little bit too high for me uh, for too poor of play last year. And I know he has a really difficult job getting moved all around the entire offensive line, which is valuable. Uh, but I would like to see Hurst moved on from, I know Jermaine Illuminor could see some time at guard, which we're going to get into, but he also has the ability to play tackle. He has some experience there and played there in college. So I think he might make uh, James Hurst disposable via trade. That's an interesting idea real quick. Uh, I think he has some value. I think you could actually get a pretty decent pick for Hurst considering the dearth of quality linemen. And if he's a starter, his contract's actually pretty reasonable. I like that. Yeah, I could definitely see it. I mean, that that contract extension was kind of weird at the time. I'm glad they held on to him, but uh, now here they are, and it doesn't really seem like he has a concrete spot within the uh roster and now we're talking about trading him so uh interesting but speaking of guard who did you have spencer at left and right guard uh the starters obviously we have yonda penciled in at right guard and i i think alex lewis is going to make this team the kid's rehabbing his shoulder i really love he's not the most technically savvy guy out there 
but he looks like an athlete. The same kind of deal. He's not quite as massive as Clichio Semele was, but he is an athlete. He can move really well in space. He's great on screens. He's great on stretch plays, outside zone plays. And if he's able to stay healthy at all, which I'm extremely hopeful for, I think he makes it as well as Ben Powers, uh, Bradley Bozeman, and Jermaine Illuminor and Skura locking up the center position. So yeah. I think that would make eight guys if we did deal Hurst with if we keep Hurst then perhaps nine like Vaz was touching on and we only keep three backs two quarterbacks something like that yeah so interior I had Illuminor Bozeman Scora Yonda Ben Powers Vaz what about you uh, I have the same I have Lewis uh, not making the team availability entering the fourth year so I have by my count I have nine: Yonda, Skura, Illuminor, Bozeman, Powers, Stanley, Brown, Hurst, and Sanat. So uh, that's a really deep group. I mean, you're only going to dress out. You're not going to dress them all on game day. But it's hard to find good linemen, and I don't think the Ravens want to move on from good players and developmental players that they have. They could turn into something, you know, quality performers down the road. Yep, no doubt. And I guess that wraps up the offensive side of the ball. Voss, you want to get us started on defense? Uh, sure. Defense, defensive line, I am projecting six. Brandon Williams, obviously. Michael Pierce, Willie Henry, Chris Wormley, Zach Sealer, and Daylon Mack with Gerald Willis just missing out as well as Pat Reichard. So it's going to be competitive. I think you need six to keep those big boys fresh inside. Yep, and I think I was in full agreement with you on that one. Wormley, Henry, Dalen Mack, Williams, Pierce, and Siler. Um, I think good group, obviously. It would have been nice to see them at a guy like Gerald McCoy, but uh, it's good to, I think, see guys like Wormley step up and try to get a chance, and Henry as well, who's shown some promise. And then, obviously, Dalen Mack, a fifth-round pick. They're going to give him a shot. Uh, Spencer, what did you have? I have the exact same thing. The X factor in this is I believe that Jalen Ferguson, if he puts on a touch more size over the during the offseason into next year, he can kind of kick inside a little bit and give you a, a defensive end if you need. I mean, he's six foot five, two seventy, around two seventy five, I believe, right now. So I'm gonna have to agree with Vaz's group, those six guys. Um, Ricard, I just like I said, he is a jack of all trades. But really, truly a master of none. I saw him completely miss the idea up front, especially in the uh, past snaps that he took and and really just not get any pushed. So he does provide some depth. He could be a good guy to stash on practice squad. He knows the Ravens really well, but I don't think we need him uh, necessarily getting any playing time or being suited up to go into September. Yep, definitely. And uh, speaking of Jalen Ferguson, he was one of the six outside linebackers I had, it looks like. I had him, Tyus Bowser, Matt Judon, Tim Williams, Pernell McPhee, and Shane Ray. I had both of those guys making the team. Voss, what did you think about that? I have five outside linebackers. Uh, the, the one I don't have to chew, I believe, is uh, Timmy Williams. I think the uh, free agent acquisitions of Shane Ray and Pernell McPhee are going to push them onto the wrong side of the bubble. They could end up keeping six. Ferguson could play with his hand in the dirt, as can McPhee. McPhee will definitely be be seeing some uh, snaps on the D-line, but it's just such a tough roster crunch. I think, uh, unfortunately, Tim Williams may be on the outside looking in. That would be kind of crazy. I mean, a third-round pick, what, 
two, three years ago. I mean, you know, it, it would be weird. But, yeah, I could see him sort of being a guy who's on the outs. You know, you don't hear necessarily great things about his work ethic sometimes, not accusing him of anything. But if for that were to be true, then he's got more competition than he's had in a while. So he's definitely going to have to earn it. Uh, Spencer, what do you think about outside linebacker? I have the exact same group as you, Jake, those six guys. And Tim Williams, I actually see being a huge playmaker. He hasn't received him and Bowser both have not exceeded 200 snaps in a season individually yet. And I think that Tim Williams is really underrated as a run defender because his quickness mixed with his tackling range and tackling ability. uh, He made some good plays against the run last year. He isn't the best at dropping anchor and kind of, you know, just standing up an offensive tackle, but his explosiveness makes him a real good X factor. And I think that the Ravens hold on to him. I, I believe he's going to have a pretty standout season this year with some more playing time. Okay. So a little different there. You and I with uh, six loss with five moving on center of the defense. We have, or excuse me, I have Patrick Owasso, Chris, the sword board and Kenny young at middle linebacker. What do you think boss? I have those three, uh, clearly, and I'm also counting Anthony Levine as an inside linebacker at this point. John Harbaugh has referred to him as a backup inside linebacker in recent interviews. He's a big part of the defense as a dime backer, makes a lot of plays when given the opportunity, and a core special teamer. Uh, And they have a couple interesting UDFAs that are probably good practice squad uh, potential guys there. Spencer, middle linebacker, what do you have? I've got, as of now, Owasu, Young, and Board as well. And what you guys were saying about Levine, Levine has really turned into a fan favorite. At this point, he's been in the system playing a Swiss Army or Swiss Army knife for so long that he can stick his nose in anywhere. And, he, I mean, he's able to read his keys. I've seen some snaps from him where he can diagnose a pulling guard and stick his head in and blow up a play in the backfield decently. Um, the one guy to watch out for that we haven't – I mean, with linebackers, you really can't tell until training camp because the contact is so essential to see. Uh, is EJ Ajaya out of North Texas. The man has made over 45 plays behind the line of scrimmage as an inside and outside linebacker in the last two seasons. He had a ridiculous 27 and a half tackles for loss in his last season. Uh, I think he's coming out of the Zach or North Texas linebacker pipeline a little bit. And I think he's a guy to watch out for. I like it. Okay. So moving on from middle linebacker uh, up into the secondary cornerback, I'll start here. I had six, Marlon Humphrey, Brandon Carr, Jimmy Smith, Tavon Young, Anthony Averett, Iman Marshall. Any disagreements, Voss? I co-signed that six. That projection, Justin Bethel, was signed as a special teams ace, backup uh, corner, I guess. Uh, I don't think he's going to quite make it. I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, DeCostas, you know, he dips into free agency. You expect that player to make the team, but there's just not a whole lot of spots available. A lot of good young players there. Um, the Ravens are really deep at cornerback, and it's a great position to be deep at. Yeah, I mean, you know, he honestly could. They got a new special teams coordinator in there who's a young guy, so having sort of that veteran-type presence is going to be able to help commu- communicate and get things together. It could be important to them, but maybe not. I guess we'll see. Spencer, any disagreements on those six? No, I believe that'll be the the number of guys kept. I think they're, but I think that Bethel was brought on, but to play special teams. But there are a number of guys that have proved capable as gunners and blockers and et cetera in the special teams department. The guy who always interests me is Maurice Kennedy. I think he's going to be cut because every single year, I know he was injured, but every year during training camp, all the media is, oh, Maurice Kennedy hauls in his third straight day with an interception, et cetera. 
the guy looks lost in coverage a ton. I don't see him making the team. So I think that uh, with Smith, Humphrey, Carr, Young, uh, Marshall, and Averett, we're pretty set. Yeah, I, I considered him as well, but he's just kind of like a hype bunny for sure. I don't think he's uh, going to be part of the big picture on this squad. Um, moving on to a couple guys that are at safety, I had four total across free and strong. Earl Thomas and Deshaun Elliott, I listed at free. I mean, these are kind of nebulous. So I had those two at free, and then at strong, I had Tony Jefferson, and you already mentioned Anthony Levine as a linebacker, but I kind of had him as like a big safety type either way. So, um, yeah, those are my four at safety. Do you guys have any disagreements there? I'm keeping Chuck Clark at this point. That was a tough um, one, yeah. Yeah, you know, he, he can make some plays. He's uh, a pretty good in the box, good run defender. Um, and he again, he's one of those hardball special core special teamers that they love so much. Uh, so I think he's going to make it, but it could go either way. I can see that one. Who do you have, Spencer? Chuck Clark is uh, really like the 54th man for me. He's very difficult to say. I mean, during training camp, there tends to be some injuries. At some point, guys are banged up. But I think with Amon Marshall coming in, who is just bigger, taller, stronger, faster, uh, is projected to kind of make a move to safety at some point by a ton of draft pundits, and I can see that in his game as well. Then with Deshaun Elliott coming back, who is just a flat-out better athlete than Chuck Clark, I think he might be the odd man out there, especially because I do want to keep all those offensive linemen, and I think we can afford to do away with Chuck Clark because of the versatility of our uh, secondary. Sounds good. Okay, and to run it out to a full 53 at long snapper, Morgan Cox, punter, Sam Cook, kicker, I had Corey Vedvik. What about you guys? <laughs> uh, actually, I included Cyrus Jones as the fourth core special teamer as a return man Okay, because he is a really good return man. Uh, a lot of return men can, uh, can catch the ball and make the first man miss, but he can take it to the house, and I think – I think there's value there. The Ravens clearly value return man as a position that that needs to be filled. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Would you guys have McSorley as your return man, or what were you thinking there? I've messed around with that a little bit in Madden, funny enough, and uh, actually not bad. But uh, no, I think it's probably going to end up going to somebody unexpected. Maybe one of the receivers is a little bit faster. I know we've talked about Hollywood. I don't want him doing it every single time, but maybe a guy like you know Justice Hill, he's probably got some good wiggle to him. So I think ultimately they're just going to figure it out. I feel like they always do, but I would not be surprised to see Cyrus Jones back as a returner, uh, Spencer, what do you think? I do agree with Vaz. I think that Cyrus Jones is a professional caliber returner where he can kind of read the entire field and take it to take it the distance. But I just don't know if he's able to squeak it out on this team as of now, because we need the depth. The Ravens need the depth up front with the offensive line um, and then with the linebackers and defensive front as well. So I think he might be another odd man out and get cut. Yeah, okay, makes sense. And uh, I guess with that, we wrap up our 53-man roster prediction for right now. Maybe we'll do one. It's a fun exercise. I think you guys might have talked me into Seth Roberts. And uh, it's tough. I wish they could keep 55 or 60 players, you know. It doesn't make sense to to keep it so tight. I guess the owners just don't want to pay retirement benefits long term. But why they deactivate so many players every week and just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's weird. But what we got to do is get you into those uh, CBA negotiation rooms and just have you hammer out something to help these players out because uh, I, I like <laughs> what I'm hearing go. from Bang here. on the table. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that was fun. We should probably 
do some more of those before uh, the season starts up. But yeah, for right now, that wraps it up and moves us into our next segment, which is our week three at a glance preview that we've been doing here uh, this week. The Ravens are going to be traveling to good old Kansas City to take on the Chiefs and reigning MVP Patrick Mahomes. Voss, uh, you want to start us off on the segment? Yeah, after a pair of manageable games against Miami and Arizona to start the season, the competition is definitely going to ratchet up when the Ravens travel to what is always a deafening Arrowhead Stadium to face 2018's number one seed in the AFC. They did almost steal the win last year on the road until Mahomes hit that miracle pass to Tyreek Hill. Hill's status is up in the air. He could maybe be suspended, not sure. And the defense is better equipped to defend Travis Kelsey, who is the best tight end in the game today, because they have more speed at inside linebacker, and obviously Earl Thomas on the back end. Nonetheless, stopping Andy Reid's offense is going to remain a challenge. They are very versatile, capable of spreading the field with receivers, including Sammy Watkins, and the rookie, Nicole Hardman, or establishing the run. I think early in the season, the, the on-field communication with the defense is still going to be developing. It's doubtful they're going to be able to confuse Mahomes. I think the key will be generating a few takeaways, not necessarily by scheme, but by brilliant individual efforts. Yeah, first big test of the year, right? And it's going to be a huge one. I mean, you're going up against the reigning MVP, like I said, in Mahomes. And you you got an offense that's adding a little bit of speed in guys like Nico Hardman. Not really expecting Tyreek Hill to suit up in this one. Something tells me he is going to get the hammer of punishment down and not be available for a significant chunk of this season. But Andy Reid is always going to be able to draw something up on offense. So I think they're going to be able to break some big plays against Baltimore's D. Um, but the defense, I think, is going to be op- opportunistic this year and be able to get some turnovers. And I'd maybe expect it in this one as Mahomes is kind of settling into this new offense with some new targets around him. As for Kansas City's defense, I think as much as they were a juggernaut overall last year, I didn't see a ton that really scared me on that side of the ball for them. And it's even kind of worse this year losing guys like Justin Houston and D Ford. So I think the Ravens O-line is going to be able to handle their business and open up holes in the run game and protect for Lamar. And, you know, despite some more over-the-top help they're getting in Tyron Matthew, none of their corners really scare me to the point that I think they're going to be shutting down the Ravens receiving core. So I think if Lamar can remain poised, I think the offense is going to be able to move the ball pretty well. Spencer, you got any thoughts on, uh, you know, offense, defense, anything you want to point out? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go ahead and assume Tyreek Hill is out. They do have Mecole Hardman coming in, the rookie. He's not. He's going to need some time to develop. I would think he's not quite at that Tyreek Hill level. But you were talking about this guy player. like he was Jerry Rice. What the hell, man? I do love Mecole, but just the chemistry that Patrick Mahomes had with Tyreek Hill playing together uh, for two years, being going through. And at that early stage in the season, I don't think he's going to be breakout. I think that the Chiefs, uh, they have a lot of turmoil going on in offense. I mean, this group is hyped up because of Mahomes, but they have no Kareem Hunt. They've got Damian Williams. He's an okay back, but he's certainly no Hunt. They lost their longtime starting center, uh, Mitch Morse. So they've got Andrew Wiley coming in. I'm, com- or excuse me, Austin Reader coming in. I'm completely unfamiliar. Um, I know that Judon, Zadarius Smith, and Suggs, Mitchell Schwartz was an all-pro last year as their right tackle, but they kind of feasted on him and were able to get some good pressure on Mahomes. Mahomes is obviously tougher, uh, easier said than done once you beat the tackle. The guy's got moves like Jagger in the backfield. Um, But they've had a lot of turnover, and I could see them kind of struggling in the beginning of the season. Uh, Defensively, I know they, they drafted Juan Thornhill 
from Virginia, who's a safety with cornerback experience. I was really big on him, but they lost Steven Nelson as who's a cornerback who uh, was played at very admirably. Uh, he was the most targeted cornerback in the NFL last year and only allowed a 76 completion rating. He headed over to Pittsburgh. Um, so I think this group might be beatable. Last year for the Ravens, I think that Kansas City was the most frustrating game just because they constantly had it in their grasp so many times throughout the fourth quarter. And it was such a difficult environment to go play in. But I think the Ravens are able to sneak out a victory in this one because the Chiefs do have so many new starters and a lot of uh, interchangeable pieces from last year to this year. Hmm. I like that, and I, w- I would love to see it. Um, as much as it kind of pains me to say, I kind of see Baltimore picking up their first loss of the year here. I think uh, it should be close, kind of as it was last year, um, and sort of a similar type of game. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a really evenly matched game, um, and in those type of games, I usually pick the home team, and especially when it comes to such a great home field advantage, like Arrowhead. Voss, what do you think? The Ravens are going to need an ultra-efficient performance from Lamar in this matchup. They did make some moves to bolster what was a poorest secondary last year. Defense overall, they brought in Steve Spagnuolo to be the coordinator. Used to be with the Ravens way back when. Um, They also added pass rusher Frank Clark to replace the departed Ford and Houston, and then the safety pairing should also be pretty good with Tyron Matthew and Thornhill. I thought the Chiefs had a tremendous second round with Thornhill and Hardman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then up front, Chris Jones, he's a all-pro caliber penetrating defensive tackle. He's going to require a double team on a lot of plays, a little bit concerning with the uh, some of the interior options the Ravens have. The best way to attack the Chiefs is going to be by pounding the rock against a rather weak linebacking corpse that allowed five yards per carry last season. Overall, on paper, this is arguably the toughest game on the entire regular season slate. So I'm going to predict a single-digit Ravens loss. Yep, I'm pretty much with you on that. Uh, quick note on Chris Jones, if you want to laugh, uh, Google Chris Jones Combine, but not while at work. Uh, that wraps up our <laughs> that wraps up our uh, at a glance preview segment for the week. And uh, moving on to our final segment, it is our continued series of the AFC North positional rankings. We're going to be doing special teams as a whole. Spencer, you want to tee us up with your number one? Yeah, absolutely. I think the obvious choice is the Ravens with the Wolfpack. I think we would all agree on that. Um, The returner is a little questionable, as we said. You know, maybe it's Cyrus Jones. Maybe someone else steps up. But just the consistency, you can't possibly beat it there. Uh, They're year in and year out, a top DVOA uh, unit. Every single year, even though we did have the turnover with the uh, with Jerry Rossberg retiring and Chris Horton taking over. But Rossberg is a call away and I've heard that he's been at the facility still. So kind of like an Ozzie Newsom deal where they kind of just take give the hand over the reins to their assistant and still hang around in like a looming cloud in the backfield helping out. Yeah, I had the same number one. I think the Ravens are perennially at the top of this list, kind of by virtue of Harbaugh being that former special teams guy. Shouldn't be any different this year. Um, I joked around about Corey Vedvik being the kicker. But yeah, Justin Tucker, he's coming back. He's going to continue his potential Hall of Fame career he's got going on. Sam Cook getting up there in age a little bit, but still very good. Uh, and they always kind of tend to figure it out at returner and gunner. Um, and yeah, I, you mentioned Rossberg. I'm going to be interested to see how the unit is affected by his retirement and what Chris Horton's going to be able to do with them here. But for now, I think they should remain number one. Voss, I'm assuming you agree. I mean, clearly, you know, the Ravens arguably have the best special teams group in the entire league. 
I don't think the loss of Rosberg is going to be huge. The head coach was a special teams coordinator after all. I think he knows what he's doing there. But just Tucker to mention, 90% field goal accuracy over his career is the best mark in the history of the NFL. Full stop. He also has plenty of leg, hit a 56-yarder last season, the longest of any kicker in the division. Sam Cook, old reliable, just a master of pinning teams deep, dropping the ball inside the 20. And I'll pound the table again for Cyrus Jones here. Really good return man, 14.5 yards per punt, including a 70-yard score against Oakland and a 55-yarder against KC. Relatively, rather extremely easy ranking to put the Ravens number one in special teams. Love it. Who'd you have it to? I'm going Cincy with two. Uh, They had the seventh most efficient special teams in 2018, according to Football Outsiders DVOA. And I like that Spencer uh, is paying attention to DVOA and the salary cap. That's my man. But uh, kicker uh, Randy Bullock. I'm going to puke right now. 19 to 24 attempts. Uh, Their punter, Kevin Huber posted a nearly 40-yard net average. And Alex Erickson is a pretty reliable return man who does break off long kickoff returns semi-regularly. The Bengals aren't necessarily winning games because of their teams, but they aren't losing them either. Yep, Erickson, white boy supreme. Love him getting a mention there. And I was a little afraid doing this segment that we weren't, you know, or we were going to kind of be all over the place with this because, you know, it's special teams, kind of who the hell knows. But I had Cincy at two as well. I think they have solid players at kicker and punter. You got fat Randy Bullock, Kevin Huber still solid. And, you know, nothing really special about the unit, but solid from top to bottom. I don't know if you can say that about the rest of the team in the division. Spencer, who do you have at number two? Probably seems like I'm piggybacking off of you guys, but I genuinely do think that the Bengals year in and year out have a pretty pesky special teams group uh, just over the years. I, I mean, Kevin Huber can really let the ball fly off his foot. And Alex Erickson, not only as a returner, but also as a gunner uh, on both kickoff and on the punt teams, makes a ton of plays. The guy makes tackles. He blocks well. Uh, I think they have a very, as as Vaz touched on, they do have a high DVOA. Uh, that was a, maybe more of a staple of Marvin Lewis. So let's see if Zach Taylor is able to maintain that through the coaching change as special teams often can get lost in translation if you don't put enough focus on it. Um, Randy Bullock isn't a world beater, but I'd say he's probably the second best kicker in the division um, with Boswell performing so poorly last year. And then the Browns have had... I mean, almost comedic levels of kicking. They've drafted Austin Siebert, who we'll get into. But, um, yeah, I think the Bengals will have a pretty decent special teams group and be second in the AFC North this year. Boss, who do you have at uh, number three? Cleveland's my number three. Zane Gonzalez's early misses last year definitely cost them. His in-season replacement, Greg Joseph, performed okay over the final 14. He did also miss four extra pointers, though. That's not good. Their punter, Britton Colquitt, has a huge foot. A 45-yard average was top 10 last year. And then their punt returner, Antonio Callaway, is expected to take over after Jabril, Jabril Peppers was traded. Callaway does bring return experience, and he can flat-out fly. Their Browns are going to aim to tighten up their previously below average covers units. So it's not a great special teams per se, but definitely better than Pittsburgh. Yeah, I had the Browns at three. Um, Joseph had a really rough go of things at times in 2018. Uh, Let's just forget the fact that he kicked a knuckleball game winner against the Ravens. But yeah, other than that, they brought in Austin Spencer to compete with him there. So we're going to see how that shakes out. You know, drafting kickers, you know, it, it can... 
go really well or can go really poorly. And, you know, I'm really not sure what to expect on that. But if, if they can't figure it out of that spot, it's probably going to cost them some games and what's a critical season here for them. Uh, Britton Colquitt, you know, pretty good veteran at punter. And I do like Callaway at returner there. So uh, Cleveland was my three. And my four was Pittsburgh. You got Chris Boswell. I mean, he's got such a bad case of the yips. He looks like Kevin Na on 16th at the Valero Texas Open like 10 years ago. <laughs> if, if you love, if you get that reference, I love you. Um, and, you know, we'll see if he gets back to that strong form this year. And if he doesn't, then that contract extension that he got is going to look pretty rough. So um, I guess hopefully for him, not hopefully for the Ravens, he turns it around. But, yeah, Jordan Berry's still solid at punter. And Ryan Switzer, I think, is a nice option at returner. So Pittsburgh at four, not too impressive. Voss, what do you think? Yeah, Pittsburgh definitely fourth. Football Outsiders ranked at 27th last year. Barry's a good punter. Switzer's, he's got a little bit of wiggle, but he's not necessarily going to break off a long play and explode through the hole and take it the distance. It's really Boswell, their kicker. 35%. He missed 35% of his field goals last year. Sheesh. 35%. And he Yikes. also missed five extra points. <laughs> I mean, that's that's terrible. You know? And then... <laughs> That's some Roberto Aguayo looking it's so bad. That's, yeah. I didn't even Furthermore, realize it was that bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's god awful. Uh, and the last point is their their punt coverage allowed the most yards on average in the entire league. The worst mark Jesus. by like four yards or something. I mean, they allowed almost 15. The second worst was, I think, 11 yards per return. So Pittsburgh's got a lot of work to do in special teams. God damn. I didn't even like get any numbers. I just knew that Boswell sucked and <laughs> I was looking at the other positions. Yeah, I just, just had saw a ton of missed field goals through on red zone throughout the year. That's pretty funny. But yeah, I guess that wraps it up. We're mostly in agreement there, it sounds like. And uh, yeah, good segment, boys. Um, and I guess before we get out of here, we're each going to give one big thought. Voss, you want to go first? Sure. I'm just really fascinated to see how this final roster takes shape. That was a, a nice, healthy debate we had, I think. And we're just three guys looking at it post minicamp. The Costa prioritized playmakers in the draft. Um, I want to know, will he do the same when the time comes to release players on cutdown day? Will he be quicker to cut bait with underperforming recent draft picks? He has a more modern approach than his predecessor, Ozzy. I'm interested to see how the Casas' leadership will impact the depth chart, how many players are going to carry per position into the regular season, and which types of players are going to win out. Are there going to be these some of the free agent uh, one-year prove-it deal that he signed or some – draft picks that Ozzy made or his draft picks. Of course, John Harbaugh and his coaches are going to have a big say in who makes the roster. I just, I really can't wait to watch these battles unfold at training camp next month. Yeah, I kind of had a similar one. I was looking more at the front office and it's easy to forget that Eric Costa's job, it's, it's more than just building a roster. It's more involved than that. And I think he's going to need to put together a talented staff of people here who know the sport and are going to be able to help him do his job in the most effective manner possible. So I, I think that's kind of just as important as roster building at times because it leads into that. And so when you see moves like this that have happened the past few days with, for example, Chad Alexander leaving or the new analytics nerds, for lack of a better word, coming in, I think uh, make sure you pay attention because they could prove critical to the success of the franchise in the coming years uh spencer what was your last thought my one big thought is regarding the Ravens' strength and conditioning coach steve saunders he actually took on another he changed the title of his job because that's not all that he does the ravens have heavily invested uh in basically 
researching and proving scientific data and really looking at preventative measures for ligaments. And the, Ra- the one of the reasons the Ravens were able to sneak into the playoffs last year was because they were so doggone healthy at the end of the season. And I think that the, with Steve Saunders, he said that he completely reinvented his training process and the players aren't doing max reps anymore ever. None of that stuff. They're looking into preventative measures, flexibility, and that's what you need to do to, to be an elite level franchise in the NFL is invest in these measures to make sure you're able to get your guys back on the field to help them recover efficiently and effectively and keep them motivated. And if the Ravens are able to stay healthy again this year, like they did last year, after all of these investments, I think that a playoff run is in serious, serious grasp for them. Yeah, good thought. I mean, it's a far cry from a couple of years ago when they were slogging it out in late December fighting for a playoff spot with like 30 guys on IR. So uh, it's good to see uh, Saunders get some love there. I know, I think he got a game ball after the uh, Chargers game this past year because just, you know, how great of a job he was doing keeping him in tip sh- tip-top shape there. So great debut, big thought there, buddy. Um, and yeah, I guess with that, that ends your debut episode. Um you know, just wanted to say thanks for coming on and uh, hopefully get you back on here soon. I hope you enjoyed it. It was an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. You guys are true professionals. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, we're out. Peace.